Galatians 5, turn with me. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. Should be ready. I've got a couple of hands up here in the front. Galatians 5 should already be marked. By the way, you guys came to worship today. That was some... I don't know if there was some special praying this morning by the team or maybe you guys, but we need it. We need to be, we need to be uh, just refreshed by the Spirit. And maybe it's because some of you didn't get to come last week because of snow and, and, and you were thirsty, or a little thirstier than normal. So, uh, But I hope you're that thirsty next week too, and this Wednesday. Galatians 5, we're going to uh, read... I'm going to read just verse uh, 16 and 17, actually 16, 17, and 18, and we'll work our way all the way through verse 26. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, these two are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the last few chapters, uh, we haven't been in Galatians in a while because we had the Christmas season, and then we had uh, snow last week, and it's been a while. But as a way of review, you know that Paul writes the Galatians, the big hang-up for them that would lead to other hang-ups is... They were walking with Jesus, they were just thrilled to be saved, they were growing in the Lord, and then along came these guys and said, hey, 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 Jesus is good, it's good that you prayed to be saved, but if you don't follow the Mosaic law, you can't really be saved. So you're going to have to return, and and then they start going through all the things, whether it be the circumcision, whether it be the dietary laws, whether it be uh, the feast and the... uh, the Sabbaths, all of those things, they said, unless you keep these things, even though no one had really ever kept them to perfection, unless you keep them, you can't be saved. Now, anytime that something other than what Jesus has presented is brought in, other sins follow. It might start out with legalism, but strangely enough, other people will swing to the other direction, which is known as license. You ever heard of what license is? License is kind of do whatever you want. So you'll end up with people, and you'll find that in the church, even today in the body of Christ, you basically have two extremes. You have people that are incredibly uh, kind of ruled by the do's and don'ts, right? Just ruled by the do's and don'ts. They're not ruled by the Holy Spirit. They're not even real friendly. They're going to have a hard time winning anyone to Christ, but their brand of following Jesus, but, you know, there's not a smile. Uh, They're very... You know, condemning of people, they're not loving, but they can tell you that I don't do this, I don't do that. I missed, I have missed church service in 28 consecutive years, right? I have missed reading the Bible, hadn't had any effect on me, but I have missed reading it, right? <laughs> I read it daily. By the way, you can read the Bible every day and not be as transformed as someone who has actually missed some days along the way. Now, I'm not saying that we should try and miss days. We should try and develop godly habits, but legalism kills. The letter of the law kills. On, on the other hand, some people uh, gravitate to, well, I heard that grace allows me to just be anything I want, and God 
will take care of it because he's so loving and so forgiving. So I don't really have to do anything for Jesus. As a matter of fact, I can just live the same way, but I have that kind of rubber stamp saved on my heart, and I'm good to go. And that's license. And, and when that's allowed, we were in uh, our men's study on Friday in 1 Timothy, and Paul talks about, you know, uh, confronting sin in the church and the fact that sin can't be allowed to run rampant either. And the Holy Spirit keeps, you know, the Holy Spirit keeps both of these extremes in check. He keeps us from being condemning and legalistic, but he also can, keeps us from saying, well, God doesn't care if I do this because he's a holy God to be feared. And so we'll look at uh, this morning how, how this is really why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, because you and I don't have the makeup in our flesh to stay balanced. Amen. Right? Amen. We get out of, you know, we, get, we love New Year's resolutions because it, we readdress things that are out of balance, right? We constantly are readdressing things that are out of balance. And that's actually good until we get to heaven. We're going to have to keep doing that. You have to do it in your daily life. You could say, today, I'm going to smile and say hi to everyone I meet. And at about 11.30, you realize you missed two people right? But the Holy Spirit will actually remind you that you missed a couple of people, and you get back in line and say, oh yeah, I need to be, at least pretend I have joy. By the way, when you pretend it, it actually becomes, if you're really saved, the work of the Spirit will actually say, no, that's actually not just pretending, that's just dying to self. And being, say, I want to be fresh water to other people. But we want to look at these first um, couple of verses and the first one, we're going to look at verse 16, what I've titled, if you're taking notes this morning, you can see the title of our message this morning, Life in the Spirit. I couldn't get more creative with a title with this. You can't, this is what God wants us to be. So this is what we want to look at today. If you're taking notes, the first thing in verse uh, 17, what I've titled, The Charge. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit that you not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here's the charge. He says, you need to walk in the Spirit. Once you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit will remind you of what is true. And so when someone brings you something false to bring you into bondage, or when someone says, hey, you really don't need to, uh, you, you really don't need to follow these things. You've been saved. Do whatever you want. Jesus doesn't care. The Spirit will remind you, no, 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 that, that's not of me. But you also won't live selfishly. You also won't just kind of have the cravings of your flesh satisfied. You'll learn to say, well, even though I crave this, I must die to it. We'll get to some of the, some of the other verses. We all have these things. We all have things that, uh, that are natural inclinations to us. But the Lord said, I know that that's your natural inclination, but I'm going to have you die to it. I, never, I remember when I first, uh, when me and my wife moved to Miami for college, um, so I had grown up uh, outside of Washington, D.C. and, uh, you know, the Beltway area. But I was, we, I was born in Annapolis, Maryland. And the neighborhood we lived in was just a blue-collar neighborhood. Uh, it was the kind of neighborhood where anyone could yell for you to come home, even other people's parents. Uh, <laughs> you need to get home, it's time for dinner, you know, that kind of thing. And just a, it was just a blue-collar neighborhood. But it wasn't a diverse community. It was just a blue-collar neighborhood. And when, I first, when we first moved to Miami... Uh, in college, it was culture shock for me. Because I, I was like, this is not what I'm used to. And that's where God wanted me to get saved because he said, I want you to get used to what you're not used to. 
I ended up loving it. We, we, you know, we, we ended up loving that God had actually made the world very different. I went to a college that was international. Every, everybody there was from all over the world. And, and I fell in love with the fact that God has made people different. I would hate a world that looks just like me. It's exactly like me. And I, I don't understand why people... Well, I do understand it because um, that I, when I first... I wasn't comfortable there. But God changes that. And the work of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what it is in your life, God will say, I know that's your... your favoritism. I know that's your preference, but it's not my preference. And he changes us over time. And it's all for one reason, and that's that the Holy Spirit would actually flow through our lives to touch other people because God so loved the world. And if he can't change us, it's going to be hard to get anybody else. Of course, he can do it without us, but he chooses to do it with and through us. Now, the charge and the encouragement here to the believer is to live life in the Holy Spirit. Yes, as we've looked at um, recently, God, wor- uh, God has works prepared for us. He wants us to obey the commands of Christ. But those things are only possible by the Holy Spirit. I don't have the capacity to stay obedient without the Holy Spirit. Neither do you. If you beat yourself up and say, I'll never be able to do it, yes, you won't. But with the Spirit, you can. This is less about doing and more about being. That makes sense? It's more about being in Christ, being filled by the Holy Spirit, not I will do, I will do, this time I'm not going to fall. It's being in the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's only when we walk in the Holy Spirit that we'll see victory, that we'll see answers to prayer, that the will of God will start happening in our life. The will of God will begin to happen in our life. You'll actually look back and say, how in the world did I get here? In a good way. And you said that when you were unsaved too, right? How in the world did I get here unsaved is usually not a good situation. But under the Holy Spirit, you'd say, how in the world did I get here? And you'd say, wow, God is, I'm actually leading a Bible study? I'm actually sharing the gospel with a coworker over lunch. I'm actually teaching my kids. I never thought I'd teach them something good. (laughs) J.B. Phillips says, or he said, every time we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we mean that we believe there is a living God able and willing to enter human personality and change it. The Holy Spirit is a change agent. He changed the, by the way, the Holy Spirit will never change. The only people that will change in the Holy Spirit and you combo is you and me. The Holy Spirit doesn't change. God doesn't change because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. They change not, but he's a change agent in us. Do we really believe that God is living and able? Do we really believe that? Do we believe he really wants to change us? Well, he's definitely willing He's definitely able, but are we willing? So how do we walk in the Spirit? Even if we are willing, how do we do this? Only by surrendering to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. Surrendering to His Lordship. There's no other option. To refuse to surrender our will to the Lord is to spurn or resist 
the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if we say, well, I want the Holy Spirit's work in my life, but I'm going to resist because I don't want to do this, that, or the other, then it's rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we're back on our own again at that point. It doesn't mean a person has lost it. They've been saved and the Holy Spirit indwells them, but they're quenching the Spirit is what the Scripture says. It's like saying something like this, saying, I want to eat something, but I refuse to open my mouth. Instead, I'm going to put the food in my ears. Because, you know, there are holes there, and it, maybe the food will find its right place. But maybe, and there's two of them for goodness sake, so maybe it really will work. Maybe the food will find its way to the right place. You get a trip to the ear doctor, and it's not going to be fun, right? By the way, babies have tried this with Cheerios and stuff like that. And you're like, uh, oh, no, that, that. That opening is not for that. That won't work. We'll have some unintended consequences when, see, God designed the mouth for eating. The ear was not designed for eating. It does have a design, but you and I were designed to walk in the Spirit. So if the Lord says, open the mouth and let me feed you with living food, we must open the mouth. Also, the ears are open for the word of the Lord to come in. But the mouth was designed for eating just like our spirit was designed to submit to God. Did you know that? The whole reason Adam and Eve fell apart is they broke what their design was. Their design was to submit to God and said they rejected. And same with us, with the Holy Spirit. We're designed to submit to the Lord. There's not a substitute option. Notice that verse 16, it's like a math problem. Walk in the Spirit equals you shall not fulfill the flesh or the lust of the flesh. Those of you that like math, right? This equals this. Walk in the Spirit won't fulfill flesh. It's a rule that will continue to be faithful in our life. We won't fulfill the desires. This walk of the Spirit, it makes us vessels of service and refreshes our lives continually. I love this quote uh, from Nathaniel Hardy. It says, you might want to write this one down. This, this, will, this will bless you sometime this week, this quote. Spiritual rest maketh no man idle. Spiritual walking maketh no man weary. Spiritual rest maketh no man idle. Spiritual walking maketh no man weary. Do you see the balance that the Holy Spirit provides in our life? You could never provide the right balance to at the same time walk and do the works that God has prepared for you and not become weary and well-doing, but at the same time know when to rest and while you're working and doing things you never thought you could do, flexing spiritual muscles you never thought you'd flex, not becoming worn out in the process but knowing when to rest as well. This has taken years of walking the Lord for me, just saying, Lord, sometimes God says, no, no, you need to rest right now because you're going to worth, be worth 10 times more if you rest. But when it's not time to rest, God will drain every bit of you out of you, and yet you still won't be weary in the process. It's all spiritual. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, does this mean that our flesh just goes away? Well, Absolutely not, because Paul talks about that 
No, it won't go away. It's part of our human condition until we go home to be with the Lord. We get to fight with the old man or the old woman. I'm not saying that derogatory. That's not a husband and wife term right there. You know, don't use that. But uh, it's, that's not going to go away until we go home to be with the Lord. And this is the battle highlight Paul highlights in verse 17, which is the conflict, if you're taking notes. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things you wish. Have you ever been there? Not doing the things you wish. This year, we will not have... Dirty clothes will not go past four days. Dirty clothes will not go past four days. Laundry room. Explosion. Right? This was the year... No, I mean, that's a simple thing, but that's not... You're not really under condemnation for that, although you can feel condemnation, but it's the things in your mind and heart that you feel dirty about, right? That you knew that you, you bailed when the Lord said, ask that person if they know me. And you bailed because you were afraid of what they would think about you. I've done it too. Or you knew that it, you would be better off dying yourself and going helping so-and-so but you didn't feel like it. You wanted to go, but you just didn't feel like it, so you just didn't do it. And you could have been a blessing to someone. You could have visited them at the hospital. You could have done this. You could have done that. Now you can beat yourself up about it, or you can start walking the Spirit and say, Lord, help me to grow through these things. Because we've all, we've all failed. We've all fallen off. We've all bailed. We've all not prayed when we should have. All right, I'm going to pray tonight. <sighs> Sound asleep in two seconds. By the way, it'd be better to be praying and fall asleep than not try at all. But the flesh and the Holy Spirit, they're, they're completely against one another. Take note of the language here. They're essentially at war with one another. This is a full-scale war between the flesh inside of you and the spirit inside of you that's always raging. And the flesh, it has no attraction to the commands of God and the purity of God's will. Has, your flesh is not drawn to the purity of God's will. Your flesh is drawn to things that are temporal and things that it thinks deceptively will make it feel fulfilled or happy. That's what our flesh is attracted to. Even if it's in our best interest to be attracted to the will of God, our flesh still isn't attracted to the will of God. Would you agree? I'm, ta I'm talking about the... the carnal man that lives inside of us. This is what, uh, why Paul says in the book of Romans, he says, in his flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing. And this is true of us all. None of us are pretty good people. Pretty good. Well, I'm, I'm just better than average. Our flesh, including our thoughts and attitudes, are miles from the holiness of God. I'll never forget, uh, early on, the first few years, I was listening to a teaching, um, Hell's Best Kept Secret from Ray Comfort. And he was talking about uh, what if, and he was talking to a church. He said, what if God played all of your thoughts from the last week on the screen for everybody? I'm talking about us in this room. I'm not talking about the unsaved world. He said, if God played every single thought you had last week, Ooh, gossip just got rung up. Someone, someone's got a beef with you now, right? You know, all these things. Lots of stuff. Because the flesh is still there. 
there's this constant opposition between our flesh, which is also called the sin nature, and the Holy Spirit. Now understand that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God has limitless power. Would we all agree with that? The Holy Spirit has no limits. If the Holy Spirit wants to say, I'm going to make you do right, he could. You agree with that? God doesn't have any limitations. If he wants to make a donkey speak, as I talked about last week, he can. There's no limitation to the Holy Spirit. He has full power, but in his limitless power, he has the power to help us win any battle against the flesh. He won't make us yield, although there will be a time where God may put us flat on our back to yield. But again, the Holy Spirit, when people get saved, he doesn't say, all right, immediately you're all going to be yielded. He keeps pressing us to yield, pressing against our mind and our hearts to yield. And we have to become willing to do so. And even if we're not willing, we have to have, this is something F.B. Meyer, uh, he was England in the 1800s, R.A. Torrey, he wrote a, a book I, I'm going to tell you all about later this year, um, when I, I want to do a series on the Holy Spirit later this year. This year, I'm actually going to do it, uh, uh, like a three-week series on the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that, that F.B. Meyer and, and uh, R.A. Torrey used to tell people is, are you willing to be made willing? Are you willing to be made willing? Because that's where it starts. And that is that willingness to die to the flesh. Say, I, I, I know I need to die to the flesh. I want to die to the flesh. I know it's going to help me to die to the flesh. I know it's going to help other people when I die. And other people are saying, yeah, it is going to help. Uh, you know, the, the people are tell, <laughs> clapping with you. You know, they're like, please. Your family and kids or whatever. But just... Just like God knew our sincerity at salvation, he knows our sincerity on that whole willing to be willing. You can play games with everybody else, but you can't play games with God. You say, I'm pretty willing. God says, you're not willing. Right? But other times you really are willing. True? And you can actually feel which is which because the Spirit kind of illuminates that to you. So you really are willing. Even though you feel yourself being pulled by the flesh, you know you're really willing to move forward now. And then the Holy Spirit sees that willingness, and I don't know where it is in the human heart it takes place, but God defines it and finds it. He sees it, and he acts upon it. And he starts to breathe life into that, willing to be willing. If we are willing, God is able. He will not command something that he won't help us keep. Do you agree with that? I know whom I believe in, persuaded that he is able to help me keep that which I've committed. He will help us to keep it. But even still, even years after walking with the Lord, our flesh just won't go away. So it's daily dying to the flesh and surrendering our will. This battle we see in verse 17, it's a daily battle. We're asking for his help. We're asking for him to refill us. And in doing so, this daily asking for God's help, this daily asking to be refilled, what it does is the Spirit suppresses the flesh. It holds the flesh in check, right? Holds it in check. It's not that it's completely gone, but it holds it in check and it keeps it from growing. You know, um, my friend Pastor Billy, who uh, 
pastor down in Hatteras who has cancer. Now, the cancer in his body is not gone. But what we pray is that it just stays in a holding pattern. It's held in check. Does that make sense? This is what God does with your... If you could, if someone, if your doctor told you you have cancer, the bad news is you have cancer. The good news is we can keep the tumor that size and you can still live to be 80. You could say, breathe a little bit of relief and say, is that possible to hold it in check? And if he says, yes, these drugs or this can actually hold it in check, you can still live a productive and fruitful life, yet that tumor has to be held in check. Well, that's like our flesh. Has to be held in check. Otherwise, it spreads and it ruins us, and it damages and hurts many other people in the process. So this is what God wants to do. This is his heart and his desire is to the Spirit to flow through us but keep that sin nature in check. Now, even though this is a daily thing, this battle won't end, we'll still see consistent progress if we continue to surrender. We'll actually see keeping in check actually becomes more and more successful, right? It's more in check now in my life than it was five years ago, than it was 10 years ago. Some things that used to tempt me don't tempt me anymore. Isn't that great? Those of you that have walked in the faith for a while, that certain things don't tempt you anymore. Someone says, hey, I got a 12-pack of beer. And you're like, I don't care. <laughs> and it's free. Yeah, I don't care. Right? Does it, that doesn't appeal to me now. Now, other things, your flesh still hasn't won that battle. Or your flesh won't win the battle, but the spirit hasn't won that battle in you over that, so certain things will still tempt you. And you need to avoid those, and the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom to avoid those things. I've said plenty of times, though, if, if I never had to exercise, which I do, especially the closer I get to 50, uh, I have to exercise, and I have to eat better than I used to, and that, that is annoying. Um, <laughs> Really is. We had the we had the men's study Friday. We had two college football players there. They made all the rest of us. You know, we're all trying to like get you know <laughs> get our better posture. And you know, we had two college football players join us. It was funny. And uh, I'm like, these guys can eat anything, and they're going to look great that afternoon. You know, <laughs> me, forget about it. You know, but now we have negative consequences. When you get to be a certain age, you, you don't have any exercise, you don't eat right, there's negative consequences to these things. But I would love it if I could just do anything. But the Holy Spirit in our life says you can't do anything. The Holy Spirit says this has to dial back. This has to grow in faith. This has to be a new discipline in your life. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He impresses upon us the things that he says, no, this is good for you. This will help you find real life. This will help you flourish. This will help you bloom. This will help fruit come out of your life. And then the longer we do the things that the Spirit is teaching us, you know, whether it's uh, you know, spiritual or even sometimes physical disciplines, you do it week after week, month after month, they become not only habits, but you actually like them. You, actually, you can actually develop habits you like. You can develop a hat. You could like Brussels sprouts someday. Well, maybe not that, but uh, <laughs> some things. But after a while, the Spirit 
these things become normative to you to respond in obedience and say, yes, Lord. And it becomes, spending time in prayer becomes refreshing where at first it was like, oh man, I got to do that? I got to spend time in prayer? Then you actually build relationship with the Lord, right? It'd be like saying, oh, I have to have dinner with my wife? What could be worse? Right? I get to spend time with Jesus. What could be better? By the way, I like having dinner with my wife anyway, so um, <laughs> we did last night, so. And I like to spend time with the Lord. But both you have to invest in. Because the flesh, flesh needs no investment. It's always rocking and ready, right? The flesh needs no investment time. It is always ready to take over. But the things of the Spirit, we've got to invest in. Um, after a... Uh, after a while, though, you wouldn't take a million dollars to go back to living by your flesh. After a while, if you keep yielding to the work of the Spirit, someone couldn't pay you a million bucks to say, hey, spend the year just yielding to your flesh. In no way. Because all those things can't satisfy like the Holy Spirit. For many, including a good number of Christians, uh, they're still mired in bondage. Even Christians are still mired in bondage. They're still mired by the flesh. And this is not only a destructive place, but in the next few verses we're going to see, it's a dangerous place. Let's take a look at the next couple of verses. We read verse 18, but I'll read it again. But if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under law. This isn't legalism. This is the work of the Spirit in your life. Look at verses 19, 20, and 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is why we go verse by verse the Bible, folks. Because we have the blessings of God says, come and you'll have life. But we also have the warnings where God says, if you don't, this is dangerous territory. This is quite a heavy list. And just think about the destruction and, and the pain, the scars that these areas of sin have left behind. And of course, these sins are still wreaking havoc every day. Wouldn't you agree? These sins are constant in the world we live in. There are several similar lists to this in the New Testament that outline the self-willed life apart from surrender to Christ and uh, the self-willed life that has yet to receive the Holy Spirit. Paul, John, Peter, James, all of them under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, specifically named sins. If you ever hear pastors in today's politically correct world say, well, we shouldn't name sins. They've never read the New Testament then. Or they're ignoring what they've read because I would think that if Paul, James, John, and Peter did it, it's pretty safe territory. They all specifically name sin. Why? That there's no misunderstanding on what sin is. That there's no misunderstanding as to things that are offensive to God. And many things offend God. Most people are so worried about offending people that they're not worried about offending God. The only one you really need to be worried about is, am I offending God? 
If you stop offending God, you won't offend people, at least not in ways that God would say, you know, it's just kind of a prideful spirit or something. You would actually have a humble spirit. Our brothers and sisters being persecuted isn't because they're hurting people, it's because they're living for Christ. But remember that in the Old Testament, after the Ten Commandments were given, Moses gave much greater details on sins. Have you ever read uh, through Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and you're like, here's the Ten Commandments. Then it was like really finite stuff about all these specific sins that fall under the larger one, the larger headings, if you will. And Moses gets very specific in the law on things like immorality and the different penalties for sin, because all sins didn't have the same penalties. Some were more, more harsh penalties than others. And the New Testament, the church, is under grace, and we handle sin much differently than it was handled under the Mosaic law with Israel, wouldn't you say? We don't round up people in adultery, right? That was under the Mosaic law, under the nation state of Israel. God gave that. But today, we don't have that. We, we simply preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We, we appeal to people to repent, but we don't have a... We're, the church is not an instrument of bringing judgment. Israel was an instrument of bringing judgment against sin. We're not. We simply point them to the fact that a judgment... What does Paul say? He just simply says, if you continue this, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. So I can tell someone who's living in adultery, if you continue your life in adultery, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, who are you to tell me? I'm not. Galatians is telling you. My opinion doesn't count. You read it for yourself. If you think it's my opinion, read it. What does it say? So when someone reads it, say, well, it does say that, but I don't think it means that. What well, meant everything you thought before verses. So how would this not mean what it says? Well, it does mean what it says. And Paul is listing here and in other places in the New Testament the sins that can dominate our lives, and he gives a strong warning to run to the grace of God, right? Here's the warning. is run to the grace of God that is found throughout this letter to the Galatians. And the whole letter of Galatians is about grace. We talked about this Friday, that if, or Thursday night, our, uh, the men's bottom rower. Galatians is all about grace. The book of James is about works, because those who are saved by grace will produce works. But you don't go to James first. After you're saved, then the works will follow. can't work your way to heaven. But at the same time, grace doesn't allow us to stay in sin. Grace pushes us forward in the power of the Holy Spirit to then die to the sins that used to dominate us. And notice what Paul says about these sins, that they are evident. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Uh, the Greek word here is phaneros, this word evident. Uh, it means apparent. It means plainly recognized or known. This is pretty interesting. The Holy Spirit through Paul is telling, telling us that we all know what sin is. God's like, stop playing games. Right? He says these things are evident. Even people that say they're not evident, it's evident to them too. They'll act like it's not, but they know they're evident. And by the way, according to Romans 1, all people actually know God exists. That's what God said. He says, everyone knows I exist. Both the physical creation around us, right? If you're walking down the beach and you see a sand sculpture, you're pretty sure the waves didn't do it, right? 
oh, that's weird. It's a sand sculpture of, oh, it's the New York Yankees logo. That's weird that the waves did that, right? <laughs> it's a full sand sculpture. It's about uh, six feet high, and it's shaped like that. That's just bizarre that the waves did that. You know that someone did it. And God says if people see creation, they might tell you they're an atheist. They don't believe it. Romans 1 says, don't believe them. They know I exist. Deep down, yes, they might convince themselves, but deep, deep down at the soul level, the conscience, they know I exist. That's what he says in Romans 1, that their conscience bears witness to them. Romans also expresses in chapter 2, verse, four, uh, verse 15, that people, even if they're still in darkness, they're aware of sin by the conscience. Even people that are not saved are aware of sin. Their conscience tells them, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Something tells me I probably shouldn't kill another human being, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? Something tells me I shouldn't rob this bank, but I'm going to do it anyway. Something tells me I shouldn't uh, get into a relationship with someone else's spouse, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? The conscience still bears witness. But to ensure there's no excuses and that all people are properly warm, this is, this is God's love, he warns us, and his love for people. Here and in numerous places and other passages, uh, sins are identified. And as Paul states, they're evident, they're plainly recognizable. Jesus said it this way, by their fruits you will know them. He said, by your fruits... What a simple statement of Jesus. Jesus, come on, that's, that's pretty simple, straightforward. You mean by their fruits we're going to know them? Yes. You know, if you meet someone who lies a lot of times, you mean you probably can't trust them? Yes. You probably don't want to buy a home from someone who lies to you a lot, right? You probably don't want to buy a car from someone who lies to you a lot. By your fruits, you would know them. It's not that you hate them, but you know what you're dealing with, right? Not hate. Not dislike, we still pray for, but we know what we're dealing with. Paul mentions uh, fruit here as well in verse 22, which we'll close out with in just a few minutes. But uh, the fruit of evil is these sins here. They're very familiar. Many people, uh, especially Christians, might glance at this list. When they glance at this list, Christians might say, well, this isn't my life. Good thing this isn't how I live. And although many may have never committed adultery with a married person, many haven't uh, been in fornication, which, by the way, can include a wide range of sexual sin outside of biblical marriage. Further down the list, most people, have, most people wouldn't you agree, most people have never committed a murder? I mean, most people have never murdered anybody, which is good because society would be a mess if most people had murdered. We wouldn't even have a society if most people had murdered. But day after day, sadly, somebody does. You just watch the news every night. There seems to be some, uh, another time where someone's taken another person's life. Hatred is something that doesn't apply to most people. I, I think most people don't go around hating. Most people I meet, even unsaved people I meet, most unsaved people are not dominated by constant hate, constant hate. But there can still be some hate there. And there's more than enough hate to fill up the local news, isn't there? And, of course, internationally, there's more enough hate to cause wars, terrorism, and all the things that we see. Outbursts of wrath, well, they can, outbursts of wrath can end up in murder, but outbursts of wrath may start out with hatred before it becomes an outburst of wrath, and then before it becomes murder. And you see it breeds this vicious cycle, doesn't it? Just a vicious cycle. 
Now, some of the other sins listed might be a little less familiar in the terms, uh, and maybe your biblical translation makes some of them uh, clearer, but for example, uncleanliness, it means impure motives or fleshly, uncleanly, impure motives. Lewdness is unbridled lust, shamelessness. You know, some of the comedians that are on the L.A. and New York circus are shameless with their comedy routine. It's nothing but filth. But they're shameless about it. That would be lewd. Because they make lewd... Their their, their whole routine is is based on lewdness. God hates it. They may not know that, but God hates it. Think of today's... uh, When you think of unbridled lust, think of today's college spring break trips. It's unbridled lust. That's what it is. And people cater to it because money can be made from unbridled lust. Lots of money can be made from unbridled lust. The love of money is the root of many evils, uh, Paul writes in this epistle to Timothy. You have um, sorcery. Now, sorcery can be uh, a couple of things. Under the Greek word, it's pharmakia. It can be drug use or witchcraft. can be either. Interestingly enough, you talk to people that have dealt with uh, demon possession around the world and people that have dealt with drug addicts, and they have the same hallucinations. Strange, huh? That the drug world and the witchcraft world actually produce some of the exact same hallucinations. Why? Because it's the same demonic spirits behind both. Pharmakia, witchcraft or drug use. We have a country that Satan is trying to get many people addicted to drugs. You have... um, Heresies. What are heresies? Well, that's uh, the, the, the full meaning is those who follow their own tenets. Those who follow their own tenets. Where do, where do um, all the cults come from? A lot of them come from people who used to sit in churches. Then they start to say, well, I don't believe this part of the Bible. And they make their own tenets, and they get a following. Heresies. We have, in addition to that, um, let me see the next one here. Uh, we have... Uh, You think about, oh, revelries. Revelries. Now, it's not a word that we use that often. Uh, revelries, it's related to drunkenness. Uh, its source meaning is komos in the Greek. Uh, it was, this is what revelries were in the original, um, in the original language. Uh, a revelry was a nighttime procession of a half-drunk group that would parade through the streets with torches lit, and they would sing to deities... And this would go on late into the night as an all-night party. Think Shaco Bottom on a Saturday night, right? Isn't that interesting? That's what a revelry was. It was not full drunk, half drunk people singing and clanging, like just think of the beer steins, clanging and singing. And people think that, well, that's just good, clean fun. And God says that's actually not good, clean fun. Isn't it? The origination of it was to deities. But then today we say, well, if I'm not doing it to a deity, it must not be revelry. Well, try talking to God about that. I'm sure the definition hasn't changed. It's just the focus of it's a little, a little different now. Now, most who claim to be Christians might say, well, none of those apply to me. I don't do any of those things. What about the other list on the list? How about idolatry? Oh, that... That certainly couldn't apply either. Well, anything that replaces your love for God is an idol. 
jealousy. Well, that happened. We, people get jealous of other people's ministries. Pastors are, some pastors suffer from this. I got enough to ha- handle my own. I don't have time to look at other people's. But if I did, I could be vulnerable like anybody else, just be jealous of things that God says, look, be happy with what I gave you. Jealousy. A lot of times you're looking at your neighbor, you're jealous of what they have. That's called covetousness too, right? Why do they get to have this and I'm stuck with my vehicle? I was like, keep complaining. I'll take that one too. No. (laughs) Dissensions. You realize how much dissension Christians have caused in churches? People, sadly, churches have split because people have to have dissensions over the dumbest things. God hates discord, sowing discord among the brethren, dissensions, envy. Can't even be happy for someone when they when God blesses them because you're envious of them. It's a sin. If we rolled that on the screen, God would say, hey, everyone now knows. But We can die to the flesh and not be dominated by these things. Envy. All of these things. Not to mention some of the others that Jesus said we're guilty of in our lives and our thoughts. But understand that Paul is writing to the church that those that claim to be Christians are the ones receiving this letter. They claim to be Christians. He's writing it to them. But even warning them if they're living this way, they're not actually saved. If they live this way perpetually, if they turn from it, then... The proof of their salvation is a repentant heart. The warning comes after this list. We've all been, by the way, we've all been jealous at least once since being saved. Wouldn't we all agree? Am I the only one that's been jealous at least once since being saved? And I'm pretty sure I've been jealous more than twice, more than three times, more than four times, more than five times. I'll stop counting there. I've been jealous, and God convicts me of it. I have to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be jealous of that. We've all had moments of selfish ambition. You're not doing it for the common good of everybody else. You're doing it so everybody gives you a pat on the back. That's selfish ambition. You're not doing it for the Lord. You want people to recognize how smart you are. We've all had had those moments, selfish ambition. We've all had those times in our lives where our flesh has caused dissension in our family, in our marriage, somewhere. Don't do it at the family reunion. It's a really bad place to to have dissension. Mess up that turkey dinner you're having badly. We've all been guilty of that. We've all begun to idolize something, and God showed you that's an idol now. used to be a hobby. used to be something I let you rest in. Now you worship it. It's replaced me. And if he has to, he'll find a way, he'll use a way to get our attention. Those idols start to come. If we're saved, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, the Bible tells us. If, he chasten, if you don't get chastened, well, then that's a different problem. But all the, of uh, we're guilty of those things. Are we unsaved because of those? No. It's those who practice such things. He says here in, in verse 21, and those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those, it's the pattern of their life. Right? You can slip up or you can live a certain way. Do you see the difference? We all make mistakes, but we don't live there and say, and pattern my life as being, lying, as being a liar. I just lie all the time because it helps me get my way. 
helps me, helps me cover up things, helps me uh, accomplish things, helps me move ahead, so I lie. Well, then that would be someone who's dominated still by sin and would not inherit the kingdom of God. But someone who is saved and tells a lie and then feels really bad and gets on their knees and says, Lord, I'm sorry, that's someone who doesn't practice those things, but still that flesh gets the best of us at times. The big difference between practicing these things and being saved and now fighting against them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the Holy Spirit constantly is teaching us and maturing us and growing us out of these things. But God wants us to be different. He doesn't want us to live like the world. He doesn't want us to have these things dominate our lives. He wants us to let our light shine before men, that they would see the work he's done in us. And that brings us to the last couple of verses. Read with me uh, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. By the way, I never even showed you the third bullet. There it is, condemnation. You can write at the bottom of your list. There you go. Uh, But uh, the last one here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's how strong the flesh is, has passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Turn with me real quick to John 15. We really are on the home stretch here. John 15, take a left. Go to John 15. I just want you to see this because you're going to need to remember this as Jesus works in your life. Because bearing fruit is a process. Bearing fruit comes with yielding, but it will, God will have us go through a little bit of pain to bear fruit. Remember the first time you were a kid and you got your finger pricked? You thought, this is evil, (laughs) right? How is this benefiting me? They give me a lollipop at the end. Is that supposed to, that's supposed to make up for someone just spearing me, right? You know, that's what I was thinking. When I was a kid, my mom can attest this, I hated the doctors and nurses, I, I, like, kicked the nurse in the stomach and all this stuff. Like, you're not pushing me with that thing. I mean, who do you think you are? But I didn't realize that it was actually for my benefit. I couldn't be convinced of it. There was nothing that could convince me that that was for my benefit. I was like, my benefit would be outside playing on monkey bars, not in this place. The people in white coats trying to stick me with that thing. And when I was a kid, they didn't do the prick. It was this little, like, sword. Uh, You remember these things? It wasn't actually a prick. It was this little serrated thing. It was worse. It's like they got out a little knife. So I thought it was bad news. John 15. Now Jesus, he does this to us, but more. First, um, verse 1, John 15. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Here's, but... If we are bearing fruit, look at what it says. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. If you are a Christian, God will prune you. Why? I'm already producing fruit. There's no way he's going to prune me now because I'm bearing fruit. No. If you're bearing fruit, you're going to get pruned to to, to produce more fruit. But I already love people. He's going to prune you so you love even more. But I already am pretty patient. He's going to prune you so you become even more patient. Well, how far will this go? Till the end of your life. If you're bearing fruit, you will be pruned. Don't think 
it's strange when God prunes you again. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He will prune. He goes on to say, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Turn back to Galatians. Just, just go back to Galatians there. See, life in the Spirit, the Spirit will say, I know you're growing here, but you have way more capacity in the Father's will, so I'm going to prune you to grow even more there. Say, I already like to pray. You know, I want you to learn to pray like Paul said, all the time, right? Now, most people don't pray constantly. That's a, that's a growth in life. But God will prune, say, well, I, I never needed to pray in the good times. And God says, but now you're learning to pray in the good times too. He'll prune us in various ways. The fruit of the Spirit, well, it's everything the flesh isn't. Did you see that list we just read? Love, joy, Peace. All the things the world says it wants, right? Love in the world, peace. All the things that people are looking for, it's the opposite of our flesh. It's the very character of Jesus Christ. You look at that list, that's Jesus. That list is Christ. Wouldn't you say he, he manifested like no one ever has all of that list? As opposed to the character of Satan who manifests the previous list. He's a liar from the beginning, the Bible says. He's a murderer. <laughs> Just think of the countenance of the Spirit, someone you meet, that starts to walk in this list. That the fruit starts to come, and you meet someone who's loving, who's peaceful, who's long-suffering. You're being long-suffering right now. You think this is about to end. It is. <laughs> but, but you're long-suffering because, trust me, I actually wanted to be done by now, but God wants you to know these things. I promise you, I promise you half the time I want to be done more than you want to be done. <laughs> I really do. But the Lord says they need to know this. Amen. They need to not just know it, but live it. Yes. And when we do, we'll find real life. We don't want to just read about peace. We want to live with peace. Amen. You want to be able to go into places that other people are petrified of and have total peace. Jesus Everyone was petrified of the demoniac except for Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of boldness and courage? People wouldn't go anywhere near him, and Jesus strolls up to him says, get out of him now. I want to have that kind of boldness. I want to have that kind of peace. But that will never happen in my own strength, and it will never happen in your own strength. I want to be able to love people that are really hard to love. I don't have the capacity to do that. Do you? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. Goodness is actually the things that come off your lip are good things. That's what goodness is. Do the things that come off our lips, are they good things? Well, if the Holy Spirit is dominating our life, they will be good things that come out. We'll be measured. We'll know when to encourage someone and when to say, can I pray for you? And when to say, you know, that's not going to be good for you. You'll build relationships better. You'll build bridges better. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to walk. Circle in your Bible, and we'll come to a close here. Circle, in verse 16, circle walk. In verse 18, circle led. And in verse 24, circle crucified. You remember nothing else. Remember, we have to, to walk means to believe this is the way. You have to believe it. 
Okay, to believe that if God says it, this is the only way I can walk. You can put in your Bible when you circle walking, believe the only way. Number two, where it says to be led by the Holy Spirit in verse 18, you can circle that and say, my sincere desire. Now, we all know it's sincere when God says that's sincere. Right? You can can fool other people, but you can't fool God. Say, God, you really know I really do want to love going to church, not just go. I want to love going. I don't yet, Lord. I'm going to be honest. I don't. God says, I know, but I can tell you really want to, so I'm going to help you get there. The third, the third one, it says, crucify the flesh. This is the willing to be willing. Say, Lord, I really don't want to die to my flesh, but I want to be made willing to die to it. Can you help me get there? And God says, yes, I can. I see you're willing to be made willing. And then the fruit will start to grow in our life. Amen? Then the fruit will continue to grow. Let's pray.